you know, when you when you look that far back, uh, you know, in history, it, it's hard to capture probably as accurately, certainly as I'd like, um, you know, what indeed it, it truly looked like. Uh, so through the benefit of um, the Chilson films, yes, uh, help from from people like Joe Landry, who. Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the Franklin FM dial, radio dial 102.9. Here today with a special session with Scott Mason. Scott, it's been a bit since we've actually talked on the radio. Yeah, Steve, it has. And it's it's good to talk to you again, certainly. And for the listeners, you may recall Scott and I talked prior to, I think it was the 2007 election, and then prior to the 2010 special override, we also had an extended conversation. And I think those were the last times we had publicly talked. Obviously, we've, our paths are joining along the way is here and there as we meet at Franklin events. But, you know, thank you for taking some time to come back. And to the extent that some people may remember what have you been, what have, what have you been keeping busy with lately? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you for having me back. And and you know, we we're just talking about our advancing ages, but uh, but my memory is real good. I remember sitting in Panera with you uh, before the uh, 2007 election, and I remember uh, sitting on the the bench on the common with you discussing the the, the pros and cons of the override, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, going through that. Uh, well. I, you know, life gets in the way, right? So uh, I decided uh, after the um, 2009 term on the council um, was over that I wasn't going to run again. Uh, I had been chairman that last term, and it was a lot of work. Uh, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I loved my time on the council. I felt like we had done a lot of good work. Um, but um, I also believe that um, new blood is important and it was mm-hmm. time for, for someone else to step up and, and fulfill that responsibility. So, uh, you know, I, I'm glad I did it. Uh, but there were, you know, other things that I needed to focus on as well. So uh, a change in jobs was one of them. And um, uh, I, I had I had been in a particular industry pretty much all of my life and um, had an opportunity to go to work for a former employer. Uh, worked for for them for about six years, and uh, then had an opportunity to to change jobs in the same industry and go to work for a company uh, that has a branch office right in Forge Park. So I've got a a, a very very terrible four mile commute wow, every morning. That's, that's so tough. That's so. Tough. It's the it's the best. <laughs> and uh, so uh, so I worked for for Crown Equipment Corporation, which is a manufacturer, one of the world's largest manufacturers of forklift trucks. Oh yes, yes. Uh, so I just celebrated my fifth anniversary there in May. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And one of several instances along my professional career, I was in warehousing and supply logistics. So, yeah, crown trucks were rather prominent. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a well-known name. And I know even going back to Heather McCarran, who I don't think is around much, if any, at all these days. Um, mm-hmm. But she had also done an article back in, I think, 2007, touting your side of, you know, being a train model uh, railroader. Sure. So uh, I- I've been involved in this hobby since I was four years old. Uh, 
And probably in my early 30s, uh, I had been involved with a, with a gentleman who, who was a manufacturer in the hobby. And we used to do a lot of the conventions and shows together. And we used to kid around about, you know, wouldn't it be nice if someone produced a, an instructional DVD that explained all of the information that we spend hours and hours talking about um, at these conventions so that we didn't have to stand here and answer all these questions on a, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I got home and I thought about it. And my niece's husband uh, was uh, a... a uh, video photographer for New England Cable News. And I, I called him. I said, uh, you know, what would it take to do something like this, to produce a DVD? And he said, I've got all the equipment. He said, we can do it with no problem. So we shot this instructional DVD. And I thought, you know, this might be a fool's errand. Uh, I'm probably going to sell 12 and, and, you know, that'll be it. Well, I, I, I started... Um, uh, hyping it on the uh, model railroad internet forums mm-hmm. while it was being manufactured. I, I, I manufactured a, an initial run of a thousand and I, you know, I had pictures of these things propping up people's sofas and <laughs> you know, just you know, everything, but they're collecting dust. Yeah. And Frisbees. And uh, so uh, before the, the, the uh, shipment came in, I had pre-sold over 500. Oh, so I, I knew I had a market for this thing. Uh, I was also friendly with a gentleman who wrote the best-selling book in the hobby, instructional book in the hobby on how to build model railroad scenery. Okay. And he said, you know, he said, now that you've got a DVD, people are going to seek you out to build model railroads for them. And I laughed at him and I thought, you know, this is kind of fun. <laughs> and within about two weeks of, of selling my first DVD, shipping them out, I got, sure enough, I got a call from a gentleman down in Southern Connecticut and uh, who who hired me to build a number of um, structures for his model railroad. So that, that started this, what started out as kind of a, a fun activity became a, a side business. And I ended up building some model railroads for, um, some, some folks who in, in their, in their businesses were fairly prominent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the CFO of, of Sears was one of them, mm. uh, the gentleman who invented the flash memory card. Uh, so folks like that, and it gave me an opportunity to travel all over the country, um, to the point where it got to be, I was really splitting time between my, my full-time business and and this, which was becoming a full-time business. Sure. And and my theory behind the, the hobby, turning the hobby into a business was to pay to my daughter's college tuition. In about 2009, when the economy, uh, tanked. Yeah. Uh, a lot of this project-based business went away. Right. And I, I, I took that opportunity to kind of step away from it. It was becoming um, uh, not much fun for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, More work wasn't than the play than it had been. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and all the things that I loved about it as a hobby, uh, you know, I hated about it as a business. Right. Uh, so, so that was the the crux of Heather's piece, and she did a very nice job. You know, for for someone who didn't really know anything about the hobby, I thought she captured what I was doing pretty well. Good. And we're talking today because I saw that the historical museum is going to open, I believe, on the eighteenth. Um, a ta- uh, train town, Franklin, that you are reconstructing uh, about nineteen thirty two vision version of downtown Franklin and the trains and the buildings around the downtown section? 
Sure. So, so vision is probably, uh, or version is probably a, a good way to, to tee it up, Steve, uh, because, you know, when you, when you look that far back, uh, you know, in history, it, it's hard to capture probably as accurately, certainly as I'd like, um, you know, what indeed it, it truly looked like. Uh, so, um, through the benefit of, um, the Chilson films, yes. uh, help from, from people like Joe Landry, who, who yes. have just been phenomenally important in this project to provide historical background, uh, through photographs and, and the films, uh, I was able to, um, piece together enough information to recreate, um, 1932, kind of in the in the the area of the train station uptown. So, um, ideally, or what the what the what the long term plan is that this is going to be a series of dioramas that's unveiled each December that will include uh, an area, a subsequent area of the the railroad and mm-hmm. the industries that it served, um, going all the way from the the bridge on Chestnut Street. Uh, down past the the mill store complex. Okay, so so we're talking about um, to to scale about three miles um, of, of real estate mm-hmm. um, that I've got to condense into a a size that fits into the historical museum without uh, you know having to leave <laughs> the doors open at night. Um, so the 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 first diorama or exhibit, if you will, is is based on the area around the station. So that the station that's there today uh, was built in 1928. Um, it's at least the second train station that was there, and, and maybe the third. When you get back into the, the 1860s, 1870s, the history gets really fuzzy, but mm-hmm. we know for certain that there was there was at least one other station that was built there. And it hasn't changed much over the years. Um, it, passenger awning that extended from it has been taken down, but otherwise it, it is what it is. Um, adjacent to the station was a Railroad Express Agency office. And, and in those days, Railroad Express Agency was really the equivalent of UPS or FedEx. FedEx, today. right. Yep. Uh, the parcel you know, service. Sure. Most merchandise traveled by by train and was unloaded at, at, at local stations and then delivered by by these railroad express agency trucks uh, to, to your house. Uh, so uh, I, rec- I was able to recreate the station and actually the, um, the 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 story behind the station was very interesting. And again, I, I mentioned, um, you know, that Joe Landry was a, a huge help in this mm-hmm. process. Um, other people have really stepped up to, to lend a hand with this. Um, one of them is a, a good friend of mine whom I grew, grew up with. His name is Ron Ricci. And Ron and I, he grew up on Marvin Ave. I grew up on Lee Street. We grew up about less than a quarter of a mile apart. We went to grade school and high mm-hmm. school together. Uh, and we got into the hobby together as 12-year-olds. Right. And he became more of a railroad historian. Uh, and does less modeling per se, but his his area of expertise is is in um, this particular area, Franklin specifically, um, the New Haven Railroad, which is what uh, the railroads inevitably became, uh, you know, into the '60s, uh, going in and out of Franklin. Right. And he was able to locate the original blueprints for the station. Wow. 
So that allowed me to um, take those drawings, import them into into CAD, and then literally trace out the the walls and windows and doors right on the CAD program, mm. scale it down. So so the the model I was able to build is an exact replica. Wow, of, you can't get station. much more exact it, than that. That's for sure. <laughs> it was well, it was such a such a find because the alternative. Uh, is to go up there with a hundred foot tape measure, yeah, uh, you know, and measure everything, which I I actually had done originally and uh, and got fairly frustrated. Um, so this was this gave me an opportunity to really kind of do the the level of fidelity that I that I wanted to do with this. Now, the other structures just don't exist anymore. So, yeah. w- where the municipal parking lot is now, right. on the other side of the train station parking lot. Up until I think about 1960, 61, maybe 62, there was a company, a coal company there called the W.K. Gilmore and Sons Coal Company. Mm-hmm. And they provided coal for home heating. Uh, they also were um, shipped grain in and out. Um, you could buy some hardware there. Um, they actually, I found a sign. Uh, they would come and clean your cesspool. <laughs> Uh, so what an interesting side per job. Interesting, yeah, yeah. You that was what the new guys, the new hires did. Um, and uh, there were several pictures of this particular complex. Uh, there were three prominent buildings. The problem with working from photographs is that you get about one and a half sides of the building. Right. And you've got to guess with everything else. And almost certainly you're going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, that so, old adage about assumptions, huh? <laughs> oh well, ex- exactly. And Murphy's law and, and everything. Yeah. Else. So, yeah. uh, so I, you know, I, I did the best I could to to figure out the the dimensions of these buildings based on common knowledge items like you know door widths and, and window widths and so yeah, on. Yeah, the so standards; on. those standards generally haven't changed much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was able to 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 scratch build those three structures as well as the, the Railroad Express Agency building. Now, um, we remember, of course, the, the Franklin Furniture Warehouse that was across the tracks from the station up on the hill. Mm-hmm. It was originally the Trowbridge Piano Company up until about the nineteen early 1920s. And um, and then Fred Saltman, when he started Franklin Furniture, bought that building and, and, and used it uh, as an ambient temperature warehouse, which must have been an interesting place to be in the wintertime. They, they, he took down the <laughs> plant that 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 heated the piano factory sure uh and um so there were plenty of pictures of that it was fairly easy to extrapolate dimensions from the pictures and 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 scratch build that building uh there was uh, a water tank that served the steam locomotives that was on the embankment i think some Uh, of the strut space or uh Whatever you want to the call concrete it. The, footing, the concrete, concrete footing. Concrete footings, still yes. There for it. They're still it was, there, yeah. It was an unusual um, water tank in that it, it was on a hillside. I mean, usually these sat on, on flat surfaces. Right. Um, and the uh, and the, the bridge over Main Street, East Central Street, yeah. uh, was also included in this in this exercise. Mm-hmm. So I I I wanna I spent a lot of time up there and you know, I, I I grew up there as a kid, so I you know I thought I was very familiar with it, and it turned out I didn't know what I you know what I thought I knew. Um, you know, the 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 first hurdle, if you will, that I had to surmount was how to how to build this 
in a size again that would that would fit in the building sure yeah. uh, because when i walked it out from end to end if i built it to scale it would have been 23 feet long yeah that so those who have been in the historical museum that would probably take all of that main space in front yeah, of that's where, a the, where, the, where, the, where uh, the seats are when they pull the screen down for the chilson films <laughs> i had yeah i had um i had about three months to to build this thing to do all my research plan it build it um in fact um it's still not done i've got i've got about 10 days at this point and uh -huh. I'm, I'm hustling but um I, I didn't have a lot of time this is probably about a year's worth of work that i that i've put into three months uh so 23 feet wasn't going to work for a lot of reasons not to mention right. the fact that it would have taken me probably five years to build it i wanted to capture those interesting aspects it also led to some some decisions i would have loved to have scratch built some of the structures in and around the the bridge mm -hmm. up on main street and i just couldn't yeah uh so I, I i was limited to the the railroad related buildings i included the franklin furniture warehouse because it was such a prominent building in that landscape um that i felt it needed to be there you know it's all a compromise so i so called it a day at that point sure um so I, I think what it does is it gives you a feel of how different franklin was at that time you know what what was important to to the people that lived in town well you know getting in and out of town because uh, a lot of people still didn't own cars and right. there weren't any highways no uh so the easiest way to get anywhere you were going was to, to get on a train and in those days a train from franklin not only took you to boston but it, it could take you to point south yes uh, the 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 rail line existed um south through franklin where the rail trail is now yep uh would take you to blackstone um, all the way to hartford connecticut where you could interchange to to you know go anywhere anywhere you wanted to, to go mm -hmm. yeah uh, i think from one of the I think it was one of the DCR gentlemen came and did a presentation on the history of the railroads the museum. And there was also a spur. And I don't think it, it ran off uh Grove, but not at the SNET. It also went in through Valley Falls yeah. down into Pawtucket. And coincidentally, that's where I grew up. So it was like, oh, I could have been here via train at some point. Sure. Uh, obviously things have changed. <laughs> sure. That that right of way is still very traceable yes uh, it, it was abandoned fairly early on um you know back in the in the 50s railroads became wildly um unprofitable right and they did everything they could to release themselves from the responsibility of running trains uh mm -hmm. which was a, a a factor of petitioning the government to allow them to do so and that was yeah. one of the first that went yeah the railroad um, association went away and the federal highway association took over probably absolutely really. absolutely and you know the interesting thing is just as an aside more um freight traffic anyway runs over the rails today than it ever did at any point in history in the united mm -hmm. states and rail may in fact come back but that's another topic for another day <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Um, so, uh, so I'm, you know, spending every spare minute in, in my garage, which, you know, my side of the garage has been, been turned into this workshop to, to get this done. Uh, and it's been an, an incredibly enjoyable process, albeit 
mildly stressful uh, given the time frame. Given that the I've time frame, through. sure. Um, but um, I'm looking forward to um, you know bringing it to the museum and and getting it set up and and put on display. Uh, it'll be on display through February second, right? And um, so, f- so folks will have folks will have time on the winter schedule of a Saturday Sunday to stop in during their correct. open hours and 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 view. Correct, and yeah. and I, I think I'll be there a, a good period of that time to you know answer folks' questions. Sure, you know the the great thing about um, choosing 1932. Well, and there was a reason why we did that, by the way, and and, and this was a, a kind of a group discussion with the other commissioners um, that um, it, it was kind of that sweet spot where there was enough good information mm-hmm. that I could build this thing accurately. Right. Uh, but the other thing that it did was it, it kind of, it, it kind of allowed me a little bit of free reign because who among us, you know, is here from 1932 that could possibly question you know, anything yeah. That, yeah. that I did. So respectfully, there's not too many people who are 90 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I, I can say, yeah, that's that's the way it was. Right. So. Yeah. There's a couple of points that I wanted to pick up that we mentioned along the way. Um, certainly the historical reference of Trowbridge, I think, is a good choice because there is also a Trowbridge piano in the museum. There and is. It's it's still there, I know, because I helped move it from the old oh, South okay. Meeting House when the, when the museum moved. Well, it, 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 so it's amazing what you can find, right? And, and that piece, of course, has been a, a part of the, the museum for, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but just in the in the process of doing the research for this project, um, uh, for instance, I was up at the station one day, and my goal there that day was to try to figure out the positioning of the the main coal building the coal tower in conjunction with the station how it lined up across the parking lot because i wanted to try to place it as accurately as i could sure and on the back side of that railroad parking lot is an embankment yep and as i'm walking along the embankment i came across um a a large um, concentration of coal And clearly it was coal that was left over from from where this building was. And it, it showed me exactly where this conveyor was yep. that carried the coal into the building. So I, I knew from that exactly where to put this building. As I walked further down, now the, 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 the railroad uh, is not the neatest organization on the planet. Yeah, um, that's another topic for another story too. But. They leave their <laughs> records behind with, you know, with little consequence. And I'm sure... Back in whenever they tore up the siding that went to this this coal facility, you know the EPA wasn't breathing down their necks and no. nobody was looking, and so they tossed everything into that embankment. Um, ties, uh, tie plates, railroad mm-hmm. spikes, sure. uh, many of which I tripped over. So I was able to to scoop up a handful of of this material that'll be on display um, okay. with yep. with with the exhibit. Uh, also, I, I was able to take some of that coal and a five-gallon bucket of dirt that I shoveled up from there, and I ground up the coal, and I sifted the dirt, and I was able to use it in this exhibit. So the actual coal that I used around my version of this coal facility is, is real the coal. coal. That I, was the was the actual coal that was there? So I thought that, that was kind of that is um, cool. 
that is cool cole cool, <laughs> cool. Yeah. um I, I mentioned my, my friend Ron and, and it's not my story, but it's kind of a funny story. And, it, and, and uh, so he, he is in possession of the original sign that hung in front of the station. Okay. That was put there in 1928. And I said, you know, how did you, how'd you get the sign? And uh when we were freshmen in high school, he had made friends with the the station master up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said he was up there one day and he said to the station master, hey, um, can I have that sign? And the station master kind of looked at him funny. And he said, you know, I'm on vacation next week. And when I get back from vacation, there better be a sign hanging there. Well, there's a lot of ways to interpret that. Of course. That message. Um, the way he interpreted interpreted it was to come back about two in the morning with a stepladder, mm-hmm. um, take the sign off the station, uh, bring it to woodshop the next day, and he and the woodshop teacher recreated an exact copy of the sign and hung the copy, <laughs> hung the copy, <laughs> and he said, "You know the the funny part about that story, as if it weren't funny enough as it is." He said the sign is still hanging there. When they changed the name of, <laughs> of the station to, to Franklin Dean College, right? He said they made a metal sign, and he said all they did was slap it in front of the sign that I've hung up there. So the last time I was down there, I looked up, and sure enough, there's sure this, enough, there's a sign. So I'm trying to talk him into exhibiting the sign, yeah, as part of this. He's a little reluctant. I told him, I, I said, I, I don't think anybody cares where came, how you acquired it. Um. And I said, I think, you know, any statute of limitations for, you know, for such an offense would probably mm-hmm. not last. And it would right. certainly be an, an interesting artifact to, to throw yeah. in there. Well, he, he certainly gave them a good replica and it has stood to the test of time. <laughs> Nobody knew the difference. <laughs> <laughs> One other piece I think was interesting, and especially from, you know, to the extent that this is certainly going to generate some conversations about what was then, what is now, what's good, what's bad, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. Mm-hmm. Most folks refer to downtown Franklin, and yet you clearly and naturally said uptown, and folks may also remember there was an uptown pub for that specific reason, because back in the day, it really was called uptown. Well, and, and and I don't necessarily like the term back in the day because again, well, yeah, how far back, back. <laughs> our age, but, but I would, I would say this, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong Franklin resident and I grew up um, within close walking distance of uptown Franklin. Mm-hmm. And that was the, the destination after school every day. Uh, you know, many people my age remember the penny candy store on the bridge sure. and yep. you know that was you know that was the place to be and actually you know going up there was you know where you know i i, I first um you know got a real feel for the railroad area mm-hmm. you know what was going on and and you know i mentioned my, my friend had made friends with the the station master but when we were in middle school we made friends with the, the the crew that ran the freight train every day through town. Right. And in the summers, we used to ride in the caboose back and forth to Milford. Okay. Uh, which, yeah. you know, today would, would get everybody thrown in jail and, you know, right. kids in foster homes and all that sort of thing. But but back then, you know, my mother used to pack a lunch for me and, you know, say, have a good time <laughs> so, you know, sometime before dinner. <laughs> come uh, home before so, the streetlights come on. <laughs> so we, we always referred to it as, you know, we're going uptown. 
Yeah, the if anything, and I bring it up because of some of the other ties of things that certainly in my short time, relatively speaking, reporting, et cetera, I think there's a trend towards some of developing kind of the neighborhood feel for some of the neighborhoods within the town. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the extent that the zoning in particular took away the neighborhood concept. So when we built the the new developments, the Charles Rivers, et cetera, mm-hmm. they were all single family. They were all one zone. So that even on North Park, at one end on Peck, there used to be a little corner store. Out on Lincoln, of course, you had Daisy's. Each area had their little corner markets. And those neighborhood places, you know, were natural for the convenience of it. Literally, the convenience stores were there. Yeah, they had their neighborhood markets and they had their neighborhood schools. Yeah. Yep. The Winter Street School, Nason Street School, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Absolutely. Ray School. Yep. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, so you're absolutely right. As the population grew and began to spread out away from the center of town, uh, you know, you got into areas that were farmland and, and, and forest. And, you know, there was no need to, you know, multi-use zone anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the only thing you were doing was cutting down trees and tearing up farmland. Yeah. And building roads, which forced people <laughs> to use the cars to come uptown <laughs> or out to the stop and shop, which, again, had taken over farmland as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, I think we'll probably have more of these as you do another diorama <laughs> yeah, next I, year. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And I, you know, I, I appreciate um, the, the faith that um, the historical commission, uh, you know, has, has put in me to, to do this. Um, uh, as you know, um, my wife is Tina Powderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the executive director of the food pantry. And uh, we were talking uh, about a year or so ago about, you know, the use of spare time. Yes. And uh, and she said, you know, what about the historical commission? You know, that's in your wheelhouse. And I said, mm-hmm. well, let, me, let me reach out. And and so um, Mary Olson was gracious enough to to interview me and and welcome me in. And, and the council was crazy enough to to vote me in. And uh, so in the in the first meeting, this under the heading of, of new exhibits, this came up and, and I was off and running. So, uh-huh. indeed. So, um, again, I'm looking forward to, um, you know, seeing it on display. And, 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 and now, uh, you know, once I'm over this one, I've got a full year to, to work on the next one. So that's yes. Yeah. Yep. Gauge your time accordingly. But I'm sure exactly. you'll also get you'll get some additional feedback as to, well, should you do this? Do that? What, what about this one? What about that one? Yeah. And, and that's the problem, right? Because there are a lot of good ideas out there. Yeah. And, you know, if if time um, and resources were unlimited, uh, boy, there's there's so much more I'd like to be able to do. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I know that there's so many good stories and I'm 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 happy that the coincidence of the time you have in advance of the exhibit opening allowed us to talk and share this story so that now yeah, we'll have the archive that it may not generate DVD sales, but <laughs> we'll <fine>. at least <laughs> at least be able to generate some conversation as people come to visit and see what's there and then we'll see what happens as it goes. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, thank you for taking time for this, Scott. I'm looking forward to the exhibit. And uh, for the listeners, 
Stay tuned. And of course, we do this because Franklin matters. Thanks, Steve. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.